Well, good morning, St. Andrews. My name is David. I'm the liturgist here at the church. But this morning, it's my privilege to give the message, to deliver the sermon here on a very special Sunday because we are celebrating during this season, the season of Advent. And I get to deliver an Advent sermon during this Christmas season. And many of you know that during Advent, we celebrate a different trait of the coming of the kingdom of God and the birth of Jesus. And this week, we celebrate and focus on the idea of peace. Now, if you're wondering, where does peace factor into the story of Advent, into the Christmas story? Well, it's actually not very hard to find. Uh, We see it in the story of Advent, in the story of Christmas. We also see it in the foretellings, the prophecies of Christmas, In the book of Isaiah, we have this famous prophecy that I know many of you have heard that starts with, For to us a child is born. You all know this. To us a son is given. This son being Jesus Christ. This is the prophecy of his coming. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. You see, even from the beginning, the prophecies by Isaiah, we have a promise of peace that comes with the promise of the Messiah. Even in the Christmas story, when the shepherds see the angels who tell them about Jesus and they're singing, the song they sing is, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Goodwill toward men. So we see this Advent period should be a time where we focus on peace. However, if you're like me, and I know many of you are, this year of 2020 has been a year that's made it hard to find peace. To find peace of mind. This is not an age that's going to go down in the books as an age of peace on earth and goodwill among men. It's been a stressful time, a fearful time, a time where we've struggled to find internal peace. I have to admit, too, there's been something that's made it harder for me to find peace, which is an addiction that I'm going to confess to you. It's a, maybe a minor addiction, but... During this time of all the things that have happened this year, I've started to gain a bit more of a serious addiction to this right here, to this phone, which I am constantly checking for updates on all manner of cataclysms that have befallen us this year. I remember in March of this year, when I started looking at my phone continually throughout the day to see What's going on with this new pandemic they're talking about? I'm a teacher, so I was checking it, going, am I getting emails? Are we going to stop school altogether? What's going on? What are the new restrictions going to be? Is there ever going to be toilet paper again? I was a little bit worried when I saw those empty shelves. And I'm looking at my phone, what's going to happen? And then we start to get used to it to a certain degree, although it was still a very stressful period in the early months of the pandemic. And then, what happens? But as the summer hits, 
we start to see protests in the street. Protests, some of which were for very righteous causes, but no matter what, we see unrest in our cities across the country. We see different sides taking up ideological arms against each other. What we don't see on the TV screen, on the phone screen, is the abundance of peace. And when these things start to taper down, here comes COVID again with a stronger surge in the summer. And again, I'm stuck to my phone trying to find out what's going on. And even as that rages on, we get to what is for me. And I'm sure most of you, the most stressful presidential election I have ever experienced. And this is where my addiction to this phone got a little bit out of hand, because I'd be looking every five minutes, ten minutes, who's getting the most votes here? Who's getting this state? Have they called this state? Has it been flipped? What's going on? And then finally, when it seemed to be ended, it becomes a contested election. And now I'm staring every ten minutes at my phone seeing what is this person saying? What is this person saying? What's going on in this country? And as that continues to go on, the coronavirus surges even worse than before. I'm looking at my phone saying, feed me this news. Tell me what's going on. And all it's doing is delivering to me wavelengths of chaos. And I come to ask this question, amongst all this, where is the peace? See, I'm feeling a lack of personal peace. This is a big contributor to that. I'm addicted to looking at my phone, finding out what's going on in the world, and it's not a lot of peaceful content coming at me. So I'm living in an age, and most of us are, of anxiety and stress. We have a lack of public peace. We have people taking up camps, taking up sides, where their political ideologies leave no room for compromise, leave no room for peace. We're seeing protests in the street, and the extremity of our political differences, some people say, can lead to nothing short of civil war. Well, whether or not that's true, we see on the horizon a world that is desperate for peace. And so we take a step back as a church, as followers in Christ, and we say, what is the role of God's people in the world at this time, in a world of conflict and chaos? I think the answer to that comes in the focused verse for this sermon. In the words of Jesus, in the book of Matthew, at the beginning of the Sermon of the Mount, in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And that is our role amongst all of this is to be a peacemaker, an instrument of peace. I get that term, which is the title of this sermon, instrument of peace, from a very famous prayer. It's called the Prayer of, of St. Francis. It's contested whether or not St. Francis actually wrote this, but 
It doesn't matter to us. It's a very famous and a very powerful prayer, and I'd like to read it to you because I think within this we have our call to action, how we should act as Christians in times of conflict. And the prayer goes like this. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. You see, I think we are called at a time like this, in all times, to be God's instruments of peace in a chaotic world. We do so first, of course, by finding the peace of God for ourselves. To experience the peace that comes in God's presence. The peace that was promised with those prophecies of the coming Prince of Peace. We find that peace for ourselves, then using that experience of God's powerful peace, we are empowered to be peacemakers among mankind. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we pray for your peace to reign on the hearts of all those listening and watching right now. We pray that our hearts be open to connect to your divine presence and that your Holy Spirit would deliver that peace that passes understanding to the minds and hearts of all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, to become an instrument of peace, first we must find peace for ourselves. We must find personal peace. I know one thing that's made it hard for me, again, is this phone right here. This is not an instrument of peace for me. It tunes me into the chaos that's going on around the world. Now, being an instrument of peace doesn't mean running away from the realities of the world. It doesn't mean sticking your head in the sand and ignoring it, but it is necessary at a time where the screens that we hold in our hands, where the screens on our walls are feeding us messages of anxiety, that we find times to silence the anxiety of the world, to connect to God's peace through prayer and for moments that make space for His Holy Spirit to take residence in our hearts. You see, this is advice given to us throughout the Bible. It's a recurring motif in the Psalms. In Psalm 62, we read, Yes, my soul find rest in God. My hope comes from Him. In Psalm 37, we have, Be still. Hear that peace? Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. It's telling us if we wait patiently for Him, in Him, we find that stillness, that peace. And we all know the words from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. 
Our connection to God brings us peace. He desires peace for us. He desires to let us lie down and rest. To lie beside still, peaceful waters. To calm the anxieties that swirl around us. That we can't help but feel barraged by. There's a writer who has this wonderful metaphor for this experience of seeing all of these fears and anxieties swirling about us in the world and the contrast between that storm of anxiety and the solidity and peacefulness of our connection to God. It's a writer named Martin Laird. He has a book called Into the Silent Land. It's a book about Christian contemplative prayer. And what he says is that we, in our connection to God, in our oneness with our Father, are like a mountain. And all of these things swirling around, well, that's just the weather above the mountain. But the weather doesn't threaten the mountain. He writes this, The marvelous world of thoughts, sensation, emotions, and inspiration... And sometimes, in other parts of the book, he calls these thoughts, quote, I like this, the interior soap opera in our minds, the constant chatter of the cocktail party in our mind, those thoughts that we can't stop. He says all of this, he says even the spectacular world of creation around us, all of these things, he writes, are all patterns of stunning weather on the holy mountain of God. But we are not the weather. We are the mountain. Weather is happening. Delightful sunshine, dull sky, or destructive storm. This is undeniable. But if we think we are the weather, if we identify ourselves with the chaos and anxiety of the world, then he writes, the fundamental truth of our union with God remains obscured and our sense of painful alienation heightened. But when the mind is brought to stillness, to peace, we see that we are the mountain and not the changing patterns of weather appearing on the mountain. It's hard not to live our lives consistently contending with the weather, with the news, with the opinions of our friends or people we know, or just our own unstoppable, it seems, internal dialogue. But that's not what we're meant to do, not where we're meant to dwell. We're meant to dwell in peace. We need to find the peace of our stable, mountain-like, unshakable identity as a child of God. Now, of course, it's one thing to say that. It's one thing to say, God brings peace. Just find your connection to God and that will bring peace. And for many people, that's an intellectual idea where they go, yes, that's true. And it never quite leaves that state. But how do we experience that peace? Peace is not something that's thought about so much as it's something that's felt. At least that peace of mind. How do we tap into this truth and experience of our connection with God. Well, I think we see the beginning of the answer to this question 
uh, in the words of Paul in the book of Philippians, when he writes, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. See, Paul here is telling us to avoid anxiety by doing everything in prayer. That is what brings peace. And what is prayer other than dwelling with God, talking with God, spending time in his presence? In the book of Isaiah, the prophet writes, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. And so the question for us is, are we making room, are we finding time, moments in our lives, where our minds are stayed on God? Where we make the space, where we take the time to focus only on Him. So that we can find the peace that's promised in these words of trusting in Him. Well, Paul says it's through prayer, and I know that I have experienced ways to connect to this specifically through the idea of contemplative prayer, and so much of this seems to be leading us to that, to be waiting peacefully in his presence, to wait in stillness for our connection to God. You see, contemplative prayer is prayer where we attempt to silence our minds to escape that weather, those thoughts that seek to distract us, and just allow God to connect with us and deliver the peace of his presence. Thomas Merton, famous writer and monk and master of contemplative prayer, wrote that contemplative prayer is not so much a way to find God as a way of resting in him whom we have found who loves us, who is near to us, who comes to us to draw us to himself. Now, doesn't that sound like peace? To rest in him, to rest in the arms of our Heavenly Father, he who loves us, who draws us near to himself. I have to admit there's been one silver lining. There's been many, actually, to... Uh, some of the effects of our present age, one of which being, you know, I'm a high school teacher and I'm no longer going to the classroom. I'm teaching all my classes online through Zoom. And what that's done is I no longer have to drive to work. But I'm still getting up at the same time I always did, but instead of rushing to get ready and get in the car and drive and prepare the classroom, I've actually in recent months, been able to spend that time in prayer and reading the Bible, writing. And I've spent this time in prayer in contemplative prayer, where I sit silently. I might take a word from Scripture or just the name of Jesus, breathe, repeat it to myself, and let God come in His peace in the silence, and restore me. 
and I felt its effect in my life as a current of calm and peace. And I'm not very good at it. I can't do it for very long. I'm constantly getting distracted. I'm not very good at silencing my mind. In fact, I'm quite terrible at it. However, once in a while, just by trying and spending time and making space, there's moments where I can feel the peace of God almost invade and clear away those thoughts that seek to distract me. And those are the types of experiences that we need. We need experiences in the presence of the peace of God to anchor us to our mission. Because once we find this peace, the journey is not over because we have a task. Once we find personal peace, our job then is to promote public peace. We take the peace that God implants in us, and that empowers us to deliver peace to others. Thomas Merton, again, has this wonderful quote where he writes that Christ our Lord did not come to bring peace to the world as a kind of spiritual tranquilizer. He brought to his disciples a vocation and a task to struggle in the world of violence to establish his peace not only in their own hearts, but in society itself. We have a vocation and a task. First of all, we must connect experientially to the presence of God, to feel that peace, to know that peace is there, to trust in faith in the reality of the peace of God so that we can deliver that to others, that we can base our identity in our knowledge of ourselves as the beloved children of God, feel that peace, and then become what Christ asks us to become when he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. This moment in Matthew when Christ preaches in the Sermon on the Mount, this line, we see how he's inviting us to reflect the nature of his heavenly Father. R.T. France, in his commentary on this verse, says, God is the supreme peacemaker. And this quality marks disciples out as his sons, or as his sons and daughters. For the son, or for the child, shares the characteristic of the Father. So when we spend that time with God, experiencing his presence and his reality, we find our personal peace through him so that we can become like him, so we can act like him, he who is the supreme peacemaker. This is our calling in a time like this, to deliver the peace of God. Because there's so many ways we want to fix the world. And often we want to do it our own way. And often we want to do it our own way directly in opposition to somebody else's own way that they think that the world should be run. We want to often fix the world through our own action, sometimes even extreme action, sometimes through anger, to prove why some other side is wrong and we're right. But this is not the way that we help God establish his kingdom. And Donald Hagner, in his commentary on the book of Matthew, 
gives us some context of why this is true. He says, in the context of the Beatitudes, where we get this line about the peacemakers, the point would seem to be directed against the zealots, the Jewish revolutionaries who hoped through violence to bring the kingdom of God. Such means would have been a continual temptation for the downtrodden and oppressed who longed for the kingdom. The zealots, by their militarism, hoped furthermore to demonstrate that they were the loyal sons of God. But Jesus announces that Jesus announces the kingdom entirely apart from human effort and indicates that the status of children of God belongs on the contrary to those who live peaceably. It is the peacemakers who will be called the children of God. He continues, Later in the present chapter, Jesus will teach the remarkable ethic of the love of even one's enemies. The love of one's enemies. This age is desperate for people to love their enemies. Desperate for people to love those who they perceive to be their enemies. And that is part of our calling too. To be an instrument of peace through actions of love. This part in Matthew that Hagner refers to shows up starting in verse 38 in the fifth chapter of Matthew when Jesus says, You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your enemies, or love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Again, we see that promise to be children of God. That was the promise given to the peacemakers. And here we have a type of peace. And how opposite to our society are these values? Do you hear a line like this? If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. These are not the values that we are taught in our society. No, these are the revolutionary values of God's kingdom of peace and love. And we are invited, we are called to deliver this kingdom of peace through actions of love. Actions that reflect God's love for the world. So today we hear a call to action. What Thomas Merton called a task, a vocation. To be instruments of peace. To be peacemakers in the world. In a world full of conflict. And we do that first by seeking personal peace. By connecting to the presence of God where true peace is found. Through spiritual disciplines like prayer and contemplation. So we can make room for the Holy Spirit 
to let us feel that peace. And once we've found the personal peace, our call is to promote public peace. To show the world what God has given us. Which is peace and the identity of being a beloved child. So as we conclude, what I'd like to do is reread that prayer of St. Francis that says, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. And I'm, of course, going to have us end with a moment of contemplation on that prayer to give room for God to let us feel the peace of his presence. So after I read this, maybe listen and find a line that you can repeat to yourself as we spend time in silence together. Let's pray. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Spend a moment in silence seeking the presence of the peace of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you that it's your desire to bring us into your presence. It's your desire to deliver us peace of mind. It's your desire for peace on earth and goodwill toward men. We pray for your Holy Spirit to reign over our country and our world and over our own individual mind and hearts. pray for your peace to be made manifest here and now. In Jesus' name, amen.